from the Los Angeles Underground. It's time for your new favorite podcast, The Superiority Complex. It's like honey in your ear holes. Welcome back to Superiority Complex, everybody. Your new favorite podcast. We have a couple of... So, some quick programming notes. For a while, we had the biggest cast in this podcast history... And then uh, our friend Kalei went and got herself a. She got herself another job. Congratulations, Kalei! Thank I w- you. I won't tell everybody what you're doing because it's none of their business, frankly. Uh, if you want to tell them, that's fine. But uh, you will be an. Uh, you will be a what we will call an irregular regular, right? Mm-hmm. You're gonna. You'll be here when you can, but it's you're not. Cons- and then Nita was was going to be on the show this week. She's back from Ohio, and now she got called into the office on a regular basis on Wednesdays. So we had Anita for a little for a little limited run. So we're back to our usual compliment with like a rotating Calais once in a while, and probably a rotating Anita once in a while. But back today from the from we 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 expected to be gone much longer, uh, but uh, here with a with a clean bill of health, uh, John Sandy hey is back. John Sandy is back. Patrick, sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. John Sandy is back for uh, for a um, short time. His uh, surgery has been delayed. How do Again. You f- how do you feel, man? <laughs> so, I'm okay. It's more hurry up and wait. So they haven't assigned a new date, but when it happens, I'll I'll let you know. Otherwise, I guess I'm back on Wednesdays for a little while. Don't sound so disappointed, please. No, no. no. Uh, I'm disappointed that I'm having to wait again. This is the third time they've had to postpone the, the, the knee surgery. But... Um, Anyway, no, it's good to be back. It's I, yeah, you're right. I thought I was going to be like, well, you know, see you in June. Yeah, you know? right. And then uh, of course Patrick is back. We heard Patrick. Hey. We, how are you, Patrick? We've missed you. Uh, good. I've been working a lot. You know. I I'm know. Back. I'm happy to be here. Uh, Jake's very. Jake's been very happy with your absence. I don't know if you noticed that. Thank God. Yep. He needed a break from me, anyways. Well, you guys are very intense. It just made me. It just made me miss you even more. You know. No, say, he just, just he needed a chance at the spotlight for a little bit, and that's okay. How Jake do you think that's me in the spotlight? How do, how do you think he did? Uh, I don't know. I didn't listen. Wow! Whoa. Wow! <laughs> that's hurtful <laughs> that's to us all. He did. I'm sure he did great. Jake is that's a fantastic harsh. entertainer. Uh, he is. He is. He's a. He's a wonderful man. He's a wonderful human being. And uh, Kalei, of course, mm-hmm. uh, nothing but positives about Kalei. I hear all the time, and so it gets it gets a little boring. And it, you know, I'm like, okay, can we talk about me for a minute? So I'm secretly <laughs> glad that she's got this other job. Uh, but uh, but I welcome her nonetheless. Hi, Kalei. Kalei, uh, for the congratulations. You got this. Uh, so you you you're 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 lotioning up. I see you're getting ready for the big show. Uh, Absolutely, I want to be prepared. Good, good. We're going to talk about because you're going to be our. Uh, you're going to talk to us about uh, Bon Jovi right now in a minute. Uh, but yeah, Patrick's back. Jake's here, of course. The anchor. Jake's new name, the anchor, mostly because he drags that's the when, show down. That's what my mom calls me. Was that true? Is that right. Mm-hmm. Dead weight, huh? Wow. <laughs> that's cute. Wow, that's real. No. I'm the anchor. I'm the rock, baby. All right. The show just got real. That's right. Patrick what they called uh, they they called Phil um, Phil Hartman. They called him the glue. He kept the whole thing together. There so they you called go. him the glue. The glue. Yeah. He's the Joe Flaherty of the of the of the uh, group. That, that's one for, that's <laughs> just for John. 
John, yeah, you have I'm a microphone. Good. You have a microphone that has a volume threshold, and so we miss oh, out. It, um, we miss out on that laugh. Oh, what does it do? Does it cut out? It cuts out completely, so we don't get to hear your laugh. Okay, it's a crime against humanity. It is a crime against humanity. I guess Some, I'll just uh, so, sometimes. Te- not, um, sometimes technology can go too far. Uh, sometimes I, you know this mic. It's not always in the right spot, so I don't know even if I'm coming through right now, even talking wise. John, what if we got you sometimes. some head? What if we got you a headset like Lobot from uh, from Cloud City? <laughs> Lobot, where it's inserted into my skull. You right, know? right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had that action figure. I love that. I had that action figure as a kid, and I can only ask myself, why? Why, why did I have that action I think, figure? I think every kid looked at that toy and went, Lobot? Why do they call him Lobot? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a big fan of, he's a cyborg, but he's also a big fan of Los Lobos. So that's really, <laughs> that's his backstory. That's the backstory I wrote for him. Uh, top big news, uh, Kalei, let's just jump right into it. Uh, I think I was shocked as much as anybody when I read yesterday that Millie Bobby Brown, star of Stranger Things, uh, now engaged. I think she's 19 and she's engaged to John Bon Jovi's son. I don't know his name. Uh, give us the breakdown. What's going on? I mean, you grew up with this show. This show was obviously, you know, a huge part of your childhood. Right. Sure. Let's uh, let's pivot the conversation just a little bit. I actually <laughs> haven't seen Stranger Things. Um, I've right. seen zero episodes of the show. Uh, Kalei, when I technically- Kalei, when I'm doing things, when I'm doing a bit, as it were. <laughs> Am I ruining the? <laughs> is that cutting? Is that cutting out? It did. It did cut out, John. <laughs> but I saw you laughing. God bless you. When I'm doing mm. a bit, uh, as it is, mm. I need you to mm. yes and me. I need you to yes okay. and uh, okay, sure. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's. I just, I just love that. I don't actually watch that show, but go ahead. <laughs> sure, let's rewind. Um, Stranger Things is an incredible show. It did a lot for my childhood because I was definitely a young, young child, and it did a lot for children around the world. And now we're seeing a grown-up woman who is engaged at nineteen uh, to Bon Jovi's son, who is twenty. And I think there's a very important conversation to be had about where her career actually started, which was with her family selling literally everything to make her acting career happen. So this conversation is less about their relationship, the implications of their age, and it has more to do with in a capitalist society where the number one reason for divorce is money, what does it mean for these two individuals who are now very powerful, but from very different sectors, one being a Nepo baby and one being a product of their dreams, what does it mean for them to then get married, combine finances, and what does it mean for their ages and the people around them? Does that mean that they're going to help protect them? Does that mean they're going to help them get prenups in order? Or does this mean that this is going to be an awesome marketing campaign? What do you? Is there a big age difference? Is that they're a year apart? They're they're a year apart. That doesn't that that doesn't seem like that's not a big age difference. (laughs) It's not, but it is a young age to get married. Right. I think they probably both have lawyers and agents. I'm sure all that prenup stuff gets taken care of by the agents, right? Not always, though. And then where's the um, emotional caretaking in that? Where's the love? The reality is, is that money is our survival, and so in that way through evolution of society and biologically, it makes sense that our nervous systems are affected by anything that has to do with money. And when you put that in the context of a romantic relationship, we're also talking about, if we break down 
Millie Bobby Brown's time with money. She hasn't had time with money and her family's money is partially hers. And that complicates a lot of things to have the people who love you depend on you at such a young age for money. And there's not, I don't know what the emotional caretaking of Millie Bobby Brown looks like in all of this. Cause there's a lot of contexts that don't come to light immediately. Right. I mean, I think a lot of people were hanging on to that. They're so young or that like, she's marrying his son or Bon Jovi's son. That's like a crazy celebrity engagement. Um, and then I think it's really easy to forget that 10 years ago, Millie Bobby Brown's life looked very different financially dream-wise, family orientation-wise. And, and you, this is a very quick turnaround for her period of life. You brought up a, you bring up a good point that I never thought of. Okay, in the in the let's say this doesn't work out or it flames out. Mm-hmm. Obviously Millie Bobby Brown now has a body of work to fall back on. You know, she's done Stranger Things, she's done a few movies, she's done uh the Enola the Enola Holmes movies on that looks like it's going to be continue at least for a few more iterations on Netflix. But if things don't work out, John Bon Jovi's son, I don't know his name. Is it Junior? Is it Ju- we'll just call him I don't Junior. know his name We'll either. just call him Junior. Jake Bon Jovi? Uh, Jake, is it Jake Bon Jovi? It has to be Jake. It has to be some kind of like rock and roll name, like a Jake or a... a, a Jacob S- Hurley Bon Jovi. Spuds. Yeah, Jake. So, so Jake. Yeah. So Jake, uh, JJB... Uh, is that how you say it? No. Yeah, yeah. No. JBJ. JBJ. If this doesn't work out, JBJ's got family money to fall back on. You're absolutely right. He's got generational wealth because you said, as you said, he's a he's a nepo baby, which I love the way you put that. I don't know if he's a musician in his own right, but you know he's the son of a famous musician. Uh, so yeah, where does that? Isn't, isn't she also? Doesn't she have uh, family money? I'm not really familiar with her. I thought she was uh, Whitney Houston's daughter. No. Why do you think that? I don't know. Uh, somebody just told me that before we went to air. <laughs> who said that? <laughs> I said, because I don't I know who I she is. A, I have, I I have no idea who she is. Yeah. Now, John, this is a perfect example of do your own research and not just listen to the. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't watch Stranger Things and I don't know who Millie Bobby Brown is. No, that's just her name. I think it just, it's, it's, it's she is not related I thought, to. Wh- I, thought, I thought Bobby Brown, she's got to be named after her dad. <laughs> she is not. No, she's she's British. She's British. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they gave her like. Boy, a, am I out of. Boy, am I out of touch. And, and this show's been on like five years. <laughs> right. Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about it. One of the all-time great shows for interior design. Uh, mm. That's about it, though. Is William um, the writer still on it? Is she still the mom? She's still the mom. <laughs> mom! Yep. Uh, my, my, my teenage crush, Winona Ryder, now middle-aged and crazy. Mm. Uh, just like we all are, kids. Just like we all are. Uh, you bring up some salient points. Uh, but we really just want to talk about the money and we really just want to talk about, uh, these crazy kids that are 19 and 20. It's a Romeo and Juliet thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Mario, when you were talking. I'm so, I, first of all, I have to applaud you because you're so willing. You are so earnest and you bring this really thoughtful, uh, you think you bring really thoughtful conversation to the podcast and i do nothing but undermine you and you go along with it every time and you're such a good sport about it i have to really just applaud you for that but it, it made me break right there it made me laugh because you're like yeah yeah 
What were you going to say? I'm sorry. I cut you off. No, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, Mario, um, our dynamic speaks to the foundations you set on this podcast. You make it a safe space to have hard conversations, then give each other a hard time about it. Well, I also, I also Um, feel like it's almost a paternal thing where you're, you know, you're close to my, my own, my own child's age. So I feel like I do the same things where I bait the hook with like, let's have a serious (laughs) conversation. And then I'm going to throw a dad joke in there and then, she just gives me the side eye, but you actually engage. So there is a difference. But uh... um, what I was going to say is when you were talking about it, it really made me think also there's a highlighted dynamic here, right? Her family for a long time was relying on her money. Right. He's been relying on a long time for his family's money. Right. So when they do eventually combine their finances, what is like, are they going to be able to see money the same way? Because something we don't talk about a lot very openly is that there is a lot of different dynamics and philosophy uh, philosophy for money. Uh, I will um, I will I will tell you as someone not to interrupt you. I, I apologize for talking over you, but I will say that as being married for as long as I have, uh, money can either be something that is if, if you're not careful, it could it can quickly become the focal point of your relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, it's never been that way for um, for my wife and I. We've kept. We've kept separate accounts just because it's not because it's like, I don't want her to have access to my money or vice versa. It's just, it was just easier. We had our own things going in and we just keep them that way just because it's easier for us to bookkeep. But mm-hmm. there's a, there's a, there's a pool. It's like, if we need something together, it's like, Hey, we'll, we will take care of it. Like it, it happens when we need it to be. I do believe that that's partially the norm for, um, I hope so. People- well, I mean, I in general, I hope so. Yes. Um, but I have to believe that to some extent that must be the norm for celebrities or people who have a larger pool than, say, the average population of money. Um, but again, it's I just have a lot of my own uh, reservations about their ability to collaborate in a romantic capacity long term. Well, also when you're 19 and this is just, this is not a slam, but when you're 19, you just, you you have, you're fresh out of, and, and let's just say, you know, as a child actor, you don't have the same childhood as somebody growing up, like where your parents are like, well, you're going to go get a job now. You're going to go work at Subway now that you're 16. Right. And uh, when you're 19, even if you've been working a few years, like I was, you're still trying to figure out, finances you're trying to figure out how credit works you're trying to figure out how much like you know oh i'm gonna run up five thousand dollars on my credit card because that doesn't seem like a lot of money and then you're paying that off till you're 25 because you're like well damn that was dumb of me to do but you have to make those mistakes when you're like 19 but you're doing it on a much higher scale because you think i have all this money now right i have i have tv money i have movie money you know million i don't know how much she makes per movie but i I'm going to guess she's in the millions somewhere now, Uh, you know, maybe the low millions because she's not paid as much as her male co-stars, but uh, you know, Um, she just, is she doing movies or anything or just, yeah, yeah, she's doing movies. Yeah. She's done a few movies. Yeah. She was in doing a lot of things. She has a skincare routine or a skincare line out. She has, I think she's workshopping a book right now. Um, So she has a lot of things going. She seems very, when you talk to, when you see interviews with her, she seems very, well put together. She seems like she has a good head on her shoulders, but then again, 19, uh, we all make mistakes when we're 19, you know, I make mistakes at my age, you know, so it's just, uh, but but when you're dealing with that amount of money, 
the problems can mm-hmm. be magnified and they can snowball, you know? Yes. I think you're highlighting the delicacy of the situation for what it represents in our lifespan, right? She's right. at an age where it's not a question of if the foundations of everything are being set in place right now. It's not a question of if this is a time that's going to help her define her financial stability. It's a matter of how is that going to look? Right. And is it fair to her at 19? And if that's like a very... legally it's fair to her it's more of a philosophical question of is it fair for her foundation of moving forward into her adult life be set already with an engagement right it's it's a weird it's a weird thing and it also uh you know i I know you don't want to talk about it but uh i think also at 19 you're also like i'm in love with this person it's gonna last forever Oh, absolutely. 19. <laughs> right. There's, there's very much an emotional maturity that has yet to be established. Right. But we do know one um, thing. It's also your life, your faith in life hasn't been crushed. You know, <laughs> that's the other thing. That's that a great way of like, putting it. 19, you still think it's all going to be okay. Right. And so a lot of that faith people trademark as being because they're young, they're putting all this energy into like romantics and they think it's all going to work out. I think for a lot of people, it genuinely is that they haven't realized their reality. Yeah. You don't realize that, that we're all, we're all headed to the meat grinder in the, in their soul. <laughs> so you're saying their soul hasn't been crushed yet. <laughs> Correct. Absolutely. It's coming. Right. Uh, it's coming. Well, they should circle that on their calendar. Yeah. Yes. Here it comes. Uh, well, I know one thing they're going to hold on to what they've got. That's all yeah. I know. Thank you. That was doesn't my... make a difference if they make it or not. It's also her prerogative. So let's not forget that. I like how you slipped that in there. There you go. Thank there you. you. Go. That's what she said. And and also, you know, and I'd like, oh, go ahead, John. I was just going to say it's slippery when wet. Sorry. It was hardly worth cutting you off. <laughs> oh, no. It's a good clue. I like it. Let me tell you, um, let me, let me tell you what else right now. For those of you at home, uh, Calais is, Calais is now putting on her, 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 her makeup. Concealer. We're in the concealer stage of makeup. Everybody. Yeah, yeah, but uh, she's concealed just concealed. Don't feel stage right now. Yeah. Conceal. I think that's the first time anybody's done this on the podcast. <laughs> You're welcome. But she's, she's engaged. Not, like, she didn't skip, and she and she didn't skip a beat. Nope. She's still, like, talking about all this heavy stuff, and she's all lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of having your soul crushed, Patrick, are you okay, man? You, yeah, I'm good. I know. We talk about it all the time. We talk about having our soul crushed all the time. I'm dead inside, but that's the way I live my life. Mm-mm. Whoa. You kind of just beautiful. adapt that way, and that's Whoa. a daily thing. But you're on the outside, you're you're a, you're a healthy individual. You're a healthy, happy individual, you know? Oh, I got my customer service face. Like, I'll fake it. Don't worry. Yeah. Resting customer but, face. Yeah, resting customer service face. But if you look in my eyes, just completely soulless. <laughs> and it's just there's nothing going on. The uncanny valley. There's <laughs> just nothing in there. <laughs> it's just no spark. Nothing. It's it's the, uh, it's, it's, it's the thousand yard stare, right? Right. Yep. You just stare off into the middle distance. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing there. All around me are familiar faces. There we go. They want to know. Uh, they're asking you where the googly eyes are, and you're like Saigon. I was still in Saigon. <laughs> This is the end, my wonderful friend, the end. Uh, Kalei looks like she's about to go to war with. Yeah, that's right. It looks like war paint. Yeah, Yeah. she's about to go to war with one of the aliens from Predator. Well, let's just clarify. This is war paint. 
it is a war to live in the society as a woman. That's true. <laughs> really bringing it down today, uh, Kalei. Thank you. <laughs> Damn right it's war paint. Uh, war paint. I was going to read a... I had a... Th- Think for you guys. You're like, I was going to read a passage from Ibsen, but I. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It was. Uh, it's the book. It was an am I I'm just here for a good. I'm just here for a good time. Uh, what, what, what did you? You said earlier you had a topic you wanted to discuss on the show, uh, Clay. What Thank was you, it? Oh my gosh, I would love to bring this up, Jacob. I'm sure you'll have a lot to say. Um, so, yeah, uh-huh. I would love to discuss with all of you mm-hmm. how you feel about the relationship to what was previously buying physical media, DVDs, VHSs, Blu-rays. And now we essentially consume media through services where they are providing the ability to stream it and you can buy the movies, but you don't actually own the movies. Right. And um, I just thought it was so fascinating because Jacob always says he buys every single movie. And every time he's buying it, he's usually buying it through a streaming service. Right. And so it's not quite the same as buying the DVD. Right. Because to own a DVD, you can go distribute that. You can say, I watched this movie. My friend might really like it. Whereas now, as we've moved into streaming services, the cost of paying for that subscription has become such a priority that we now have passwords and internet routers being linked to accounts. And it makes it harder to then share the media you enjoy. And then it really changes the dynamic and community with our media. Right. Okay. Well, you you could not have picked two better individuals. Actually, I would say three uh, with Patrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if Brent was was uh, Brent from Home Video Hustle was on here, he would have something to say about this. Uh, you are you are not going to talk to anybody uh, more who who is a, a bigger believer in uh, physical media than John Sandy. Uh, mm. John Sandy is uh, still consumes. Uh, he still reads a newspaper for God's sake. Uh, uh, every morning you'll see him. You'll catch him with his papers. He will be walking around for the love of God. For the love of God. Uh, I am slowly transitioning out of physical media for the, the only reason I still have a ton of CDs. I have a ton of DVDs. I have a ton of Blu-rays in that are now in storage. The only reason I, I don't have more is because of room because over the years Mm -hmm. after moving two or three times, you have to get rid of stuff. And that is the easiest stuff to get rid of, right? You you start going through and you start saying, uh, "Do I really need this? You know, do I really I'm need this blues traveler CD anymore?" <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, we've had this conversation a million times. I would. It's like she said. It's like if you have it in your hand and it's on the shelf, you can loan it to somebody. You can just watch it whenever you want. If you want to give it to somebody or loan it to somebody, it's an actual physical, you know, object with liner notes and maybe a couple of things attached, like a book or something. And but you're you're right, Mario. As as you know, um, uh, I inherited, <laughs> I inherited stacks and stacks of DVDs from a friend that passed away. And now, combined with all the thirty years worth of tapes and DVDs I've been collecting, you're right. You run out of room. You just it's a practical consideration. You run out of room, and it's true. Every every time you move, it's it's another you know another couple boxes. You know, right. But. Um, for me, the other practical consideration is I, I'm into a lot of old movies that are just not streaming anywhere. You know, maybe Criterion, maybe Turner Classics, but there's a lot of stuff. It's like if you don't actually purchase it, you're not going to find it anywhere. It's easy to find Wizard of Oz or Singing in the Rain, but if you're looking for some early talkie, you know, that they're, they're pressing to order. You know, maybe you know, maybe a couple hundred for the whole country. You know, that that's that's kind of like that's one reason why I still purchase some DVDs. 
I've, I've recently, uh, myself, uh, when, when Kindle came on, I was like, well, I like to hold books in my hand. And then I was like, God, these books take up a lot of space. So I was just going Kindle for a while. And then yeah. recently in the last few years, I've had a resurgence of buying books again. And I'm right back to where I was where it's like, well, now I've got all these shelves, which are great, but they're immediately full. Just like in the game room, right? Like the board, that was one thing about board games. It's like, hey, these are, this is a physical medium. We're, we're sitting across the table from one another. We're having a conversation. We're, I'm looking into your eyes when we're playing a game like Secret Hitler, and I'm saying, can I trust Jake? Can I trust Patrick? Um, th- there's a certain element to that. And touching the cards and flipping the cards over uh, is such a different experience than playing video games. But even as far as video games go right now, I have Xbox Game Pass, and I'm streaming all these games that I do not own. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, I have this subscription where I can access all these games. Are they the hottest, newest games? No, but they're new to me because I've never played them. And so mm-hmm. the idea that I can just pick up my controller and play a game I've never played before and see if I like it or not and maybe never pick it up or become obsessed with it and play till I finish uh, is, is fascinating to me. And it's the same thing. The one thing where I've, where I've completely gone over to streaming is definitely music. Um, with, mm-hmm. between YouTube music, Spotify, pretty much everything that I listen to is out there. I mean, uh, there's always going to be the odd track that you can't find, or you'll have to go to YouTube and somebody uploaded themselves mm-hmm. playing a 45 RPM of it. Right. And that's the closest you're ever going to get. But you know, John, we used to, somebody brought up an article about how generation X and I, I will include you in this generation X really came up with a playlist when we started doing mixtapes, right? We started right, making mixtapes. Right, yeah. Those were the first playlists, right? Exactly. And exactly. I remember carrying a huge, like a suitcase size, <laughs> like a small yeah. vanity case size of cassettes. And then later on CDs, books and books of CDs in my car, mixed CDs. The second I could dump all that and just do it via my phone, yeah. And of course, the sound quality is, I mean, if you're an audiophile, yes, I still have a lot of albums. I still have a lot of CDs, but again, storage. So for me, being able to carry everything, as long as I have an internet connection and being able to, to, to access pretty much any CD that I want, that was really the first yeah. step in converting me to uh, sure. to more digital mediums, you know? I mean, Patrick and- Yeah, you're right. With that, with that one, there's almost nothing you can't find now. That one actually makes sense because, yeah, just, you know, you know, lugging around, even just having a stack of CDs in your glove compartment, now you don't need to do that anymore. It's right. all out there. But, but uh, I, I, it's funny, Patrick and Jake, how do you guys feel about this? Because you guys came in kind of at the end of the physical media in the start of streaming. Like, how do you guys feel about that? So- my childhood was uh, right at the peak transition from tapes to CDs mm-hmm. and uh, from VHS to DVD. And having gone through and having to buy those multiple times for movies you like, right? Right. What came out of it was a lot of waste. True. I remember having stacks of VHSs, stacks of DVDs that you just didn't need. And same thing with CDs and tapes. And it's just like you ended up buying the same album over again because you really liked it, but you wanted it in the most recent, you know, format. So not physically owning it provides both a convenient standpoint of being able to watch it whenever and wherever you want, as well as uh, a uh, kind of... uh, 
what I, my brain is dead. A um, it's just it's not as wasteful, right? There's not a lot of physical waste there, right? I can't. My brain's tired. Um, do I regret not owning things physically? Uh, at this day and age, I've gotten used to it, and I don't. Um, there was a time when, uh, before like owning movies digitally got super super big, when you would buy the DVD and you'd get like every movie would come with the digital code copyright, so you That's could watch it online. Digital movie like, right club, yeah, the peak, right? I would go out and buy like every new DVD for every new movie that I liked that I wanted to watch, right? And it just got, I, I mean, it just got wasteful. Right. And how often do you watch most movies? You know, how many movies do you watch more than once anyway? You know, well, uh, a lot. Actually. I do a lot. Not as much as I used <laughs> yeah. to. Not as much I, as I but used I do to. the same. And it, it came down to it too for books for me too. Like I do the same thing. I will reread books that I've read before. Uh, not once, not twice, but you know, I've, there's books I've read like 60 times just because I like the story and I want to enjoy it and I want to live in that world. And so having that as a digital medium is just a, a convenience thing mm-hmm. of being able to pick it up whenever I want. You, you can pick it up on your phone. You can pick it up on your, yeah. your, yeah, your tablet. So uh, there are parts of it where I'm like, yeah, if the world collapses and technology ends, you know, it will suck to not be able to have those things. But if we get to that point, you know, being, able to go out and go get physical medium is not the end of the world. I think, uh, Jake, what do you think, man? I mean, how do you feel? Um, I've always been up. I've always preferred digital media one for the convenience. And it also gives you an opportunity or it gives the opportunity for at least in terms of music and video games for independent artists to put out their work without having to oh that's true put that all is- this money into distribution for making the CDs for making the physical copies of the games and releasing it that way or now if they'll have a digital run and if it goes really well a lot of things they'll put out an album they'll put out a CD they'll you know they'll put a physical copy of the of the video game right and it's actually become a huge topic of debate at least in the in the video game circle of emulation games yeah. that you know games on the super nintendo or on the sega dreamcast or on like the n64 that you aren't able to get anymore right. there are means of finding those things and being able to play it on your computer you can play it on your phone they have dedicated devices they have dedicated, the yeah they have dedicated devices which are used specifically for that right so there's this whole topic of debate on is you know, emulation, if you haven't actually owned the copy, is it piracy? Is it not? But if you're if they don't have those products in distribution or in production anymore, it's there's this whole moral gray area, the whole legal debate. But yeah, I've, overall, I think digital media gives more opportunity for to either listen or play something that is no longer access in a physical form or give the opportunity for smaller developers and i think it's a lot easier to find things nowadays like two years ago you can't you wouldn't be able to find a lot of things like you'd have to go to specific places to find a particular movie like john was talking about and 
now a lot of things are getting imported to the fact that you can access old movies that, you know, are not necessarily available in all streaming services. It's it's becoming a lot more convenient. I will tell you it what, is. I was I'm, I was I'm even finding silent stuff. Yeah. Just like absolutely. on YouTube on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I yeah, I was just gonna say they're almost making it they're they're it's they're almost making it harder for you to go the the physical route. Uh <laughs> yeah. things like like you know, like I have, right. a, like I have an Xbox, right? Like my Xbox is digital only. That's the cheapest option. It's there's no there's no disc drive yeah. on it, right? Or, you know, you have to play. You know, your PlayStation Five will will play, you know, Blu-ray discs, or they'll it'll play DVDs. I mean, it, yeah, but, and think about it too. Like the companies that are distributing that way, they're getting the same exact money for not having to make the product, not having to ship the product, not having to market the right. product. Mm-hmm. Out physically in stores, right? They're still charging you sixty dollars for that brand new game digitally. So they're making money hand over fist, regardless. Right? Like it's no, it's no oh, different. They're making for way them. more money now, not having to distribute yeah. as much physical copy. What, yeah, what's funny? What's funny, Kalei, is you brought this up, and I was literally thinking. Uh, but when I sat down, I had a few minutes, and I I sat down to eat lunch real quick. And I put on an episode of uh, Parks and Rec from from uh, from Voodoo, and there was a little hitch, and it took a little while to get going. And I was like, "Man, this is the one drawback of having streaming. Like, if your internet service goes down, you're completely you're asked out. You're done. There's nothing. You get you get you watch you watch nothing. You get nothing. You lose." So then it's like you pull out the you pull out the DVD. A really interesting point that I think all of you are kind of hitting on is that like there's a there's a convenience mechanism to this, and it is an accessibility point, absolutely. But as accessible as it is, they're making it less accessible, right? You're paying for those streaming services. Right. That's a cost. You're paying for your internet. That's a cost. Right. And what happens when you're paying for those things and they're still faulty? You're not getting reimbursed. Right. Right. There is that, that time that your app doesn't load and you decide to go to a different streaming service. You're not getting reimbursed for that experience. That's and true. It's not that it, and it's not that it's a matter of deserving that. But when you put it in the frame of capitalism and production and the way that they're viewing it on their end for their product. It would make sense if the idea is that we have access, that there's some sort of financial relationship ingrained in that accessibility. Right. And there's nothing stopping a company from just saying there's nothing stopping Voodoo tomorrow, which is where I have most of my digital movies. If that folds, all those digital movies go away. Right. So we have had pieces of that, like iTunes, I think, sets precedent. They had the guy try and sue them when he bought all of his movies. Right. On the iTunes, I think. Right. And I don't think he won. Did he win? No, I don't think he won either. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting. I mean, think, I think we've all, it's funny because, you know, a few years ago, everybody was nervous about the cloud. Well, I got to upload this to the cloud. Am I going to get it? Do I really own this? And then after a while, people were just like, well, it works. So I guess we're doing it. This is the way we're doing it now. And uh, it still kind of haunts me in the back of my head, but not as much as it used to. I've gotten so used to streaming everything. Um, to the mm-hmm. point where the TV in this room, I don't even have cable hooked up in here. I have, do everything via the app. So even the cable company I use has an app, and there's no physical connection down here. This is I'm streaming everything over the air on this television. Um, so it's 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 yeah it's it's it, it, but it's a question of I think uh, what happens when like if somebody takes a server down and all those movies disappear, uh, mm-hmm. you know. 
you know, we're talking about it in the movie context, but we had touched on it music and books a little bit. And with books specifically, I think that we have a lot of history that shows the way that books are viewed as dangerous. And that and that can in turn be hyperbolized into physical media being dangerous. Because once it's physical media, there's no longer a control. Right. Whereas and you- right now we have the ability to edit movies, take out scenes, change them, and re-upload them and change that dynamic. Well, you just brought up something I never thought of. Like what if, you know, what if every book is digitally uploaded, right? It's like a Fahrenheit 451 situation. And then people just decide, well, we're going to ban these books. But instead of banning them, they just delete them forever from existence. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I never thought of that. I never thought of that's an interesting because, you know, somebody out there would do it. You know, somebody out there would do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing it within our own country. We see all the time books not only being pulled off of the shelves, but being pulled out of distribution altogether. Right. So, yeah, what's stopping yeah. somebody from just what's stopping from some some Tennessee lawmaker from just going, oh, uh, you know, I find this book offensive. Bingo. Delete. Bingo. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you have a lot easier <laughs> than trying to pull- digital copy, there are there. If you phys- like actually own the digital copy, not through a streaming service, you can download it or at least through or at least I know on Amazon does. And I think, Kindle, you can download the PDF for it and you can save it on your end personally. Hopefully. But- yeah. But, yeah. But yeah, as we go to all digital. Uh, and remember, in every post-apocalyptic situation we ever see, there's no electricity, right? So all mm. that stuff. Uh, all I know is if apocalypse hits and we go to the library, one of us is going to break our glasses and ah! it's going to be ruined and we're not going to be able to enjoy shit. So, my glasses. You know, bad either way. Where's my glasses? And glass? don't forget, you have to say it's not fair. Right. Yeah. Uh, our generators, gas-powered generators, you can still get electric. Uh, Kalei, let me ask you: now we're talking where, about where do you fall? Electric. Where do you fall yeah. with the uh, with the digital? Do you prefer physical? Something tells me you just prefer the physical medium. Just I do. I do prefer the physical medium. Um, with and like I have different reasons for each medium. With music specifically, I mean, <laughs> I grew up with my stepdad making music. He's a rapper, so I feel like there was always this very much ingrained idea of especially with house music, you know, the physical modality, the physical recording of this gives us an opportunity to mess with it in a physical realm. And as I grew up, I watched my stepdad shift a lot from records and CDs to just using his soundboard when there were times where he was making noises with cardboard and shoes up to his mic, trying to get a sample. So In that way, for him, I watched his relationship to music change a lot and his fulfillment from music change a lot. And then when I went into college from watching that, it made me more interested in learning more about where house music comes from more specifically. And there's something so beautiful about the pursuit of art through the physical realm because we become so digitized so quickly. So I think right now that's my draw to it. Is there something beautiful about it? And it, it speaks to something that I want to preserve. Uh, Is it the most functional? No, but (laughs) no, (laughs) but but let me tell you this. There is something to be said and and I will, I will, I will say this, uh, you know, kind of to add an addendum, addendum to what you said, Kalei, there is no, and I'm sad for the people that will never get to experience this. There is nothing like a John Sandy needle drop on a song that he wants you to hear 
that he's got on an album, on an album, not a, not a CD. Uh, when you're sitting in his apartment with a stack of old magazines and you're thumbing through magazines, and he's like, "Hey, check this out," and he gives you the needle drop on a, on an on an on an album uh, in his apartment that is just filled with cassettes and CDs and albums and books. Uh, it's probably one of the greatest experiences I ever had in my life. And there is something about you know uh. when you said your stepdad was into hip hop. You know, scratching, you know, scratching is such a, a huge part of the evolution of hip hop, right? It all it all came from, you know, looping those breaks, right, from different songs like, you know, you know, uh, like the Apache and all these other songs. Not the Apache. Yeah, the Apache. Um, but the but looping all these songs and guys like Grandmaster Flash who were pioneers in the art of scratching, uh, taking this physical record and making something new with it, right? Sampling, all that stuff involved physical media. Yeah, so, I, you know, I, I think, yeah. And, you know, there's something magical about holding book in your hand. Uh, John Bob- I was going to say, Mario, don't you, don't you enjoy, when you're reading something on a Kindle, that's fine, but actually turning pages and putting a bookmark in there and coming back to it. Right. There's something kind of, I don't know, kind of- uh, you can't replace that experience just holding a book and right. turning the pages, you know. Oh, I also I like- have a copy. Sorry. No, go ahead. I have the original I have an original print of Black Beauty. And it was my great great grandmother's and her handwriting is in it. And then my great grandmother's handwriting is in it. And my grandmother's. And so in that way, also, physical media gives us an opportunity to share media cross generationally. Hand something down. With people have conversations with people. I was never gonna meet my great great grandmother. That was never gonna happen on the biological clock, but I know what she thought of black beauty. Wow. That's amazing. See, that's something yeah, nice to have in your hand. Yeah. It's beautiful. And it's, 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 yeah, exactly. It's history. It's family history in your hand. And, uh, yeah, it's not like she said, download the book. I like this. Why don't you download it? You know, <laughs> I'll tell you one thing that I miss and you know, it, the, while the convenience, you know, the, you know, on the convenience side, it gets a million points, but there is nothing, nothing, nothing. If you want to talk, talk about being tied to previous generations. There's nothing like holding a photograph in your hand of mm. like somebody in your family. Mm. Like my mom has all these old photos that I, I converted to digital for her, but she still has them. It's pictures of my mom when she's a little kid and, you know, pictures of my, my grandparents when they were young, you know, uh, holding like my aunts and uncles who are now mm. passed away, holding them when they were babies you know, it's amazing to see that, you know, it's like, I knew, this is my uncle that I knew. Here he is. He's a baby in this photo. And my grandparents who were, you know, older by the time I came around, they're holding him as a baby and you're holding that picture. It's so, it, there's a connection there that, uh, that just cannot be replaced by looking at it. And don't get me wrong. I bought my mom a digital frame frame and she loves it. I send her pictures to it all the time. And, you know, it's instantaneous. I can take pictures of me and my family somewhere and she gets them and she's like, Oh look, here's pictures. And she watches the little slideshow and she loves it, but there's nothing like holding those pictures. Just like that book with your, with your, it's the sense of touch, right? You know, there's something, there's something going on there, you know, it's everything. It's touching it. It's the, you can actually see the grain of the photo. You can see like, you know, uh, you know, it's funny when you look at photos and every decade's got a different sort of drawback, you know, Black and white does this. Color does this. Stuff in the 70s, the colors start fading. Polaroids have a different look to them. Right. They all have a different sort of way that you connect with it. And um, somebody said that that's something that a certain generation is not going to have. The idea that you're you're thumbing through a, a shoebox full of old photos. It just isn't something that's going to happen past right. 
a certain point. And you're right, those uh, imperfections those imperfections kind of tell you when it is. You can tell from a exactly. yellow picture that it's the 70s. It's like, oh, I can tell from this this is the 70s just by the way this picture's faded out. Or I can tell exactly. you could tell it's a Polaroid by the way the flash washes everything out. Uh Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that in a way it's like your brain's doing all this detective work. It's giving you a sense of place even beyond what's in the picture. <laughs> right. So yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you've made me sad. So uh I am going to go <laughs> <laughs> What, what is that? Is this that- isn't a sad conversation. It's a conversation about intentionality with media. Let me Am ask- I going to have books on my Kindle? Absolutely. But if I read a book on my Kindle that I know I'm going to want women in my family to read for generations, I'll go buy it. What, what did your grandmother you think go. of uh, Black Beauty, by the way? Or your great-grandmother? She felt, she felt like it was a really great story of freedom and what it means to be wild. Wow. Wow. When did your great-grandmother pass away? Do you know what year she passed away? I have no idea. And my grandma actually wasn't close to her. It would have been her grandmother. She wasn't close to her, or her great-grandmother, but she wasn't close to her family at all wow. growing up. So these are also women who wouldn't have necessarily wanted to know me had they been alive. And that's also something that's very an interesting way to connect with people. That's crazy. But this book was handed down from generation to generation, and that's that's huge. Yes. You know, that's the thing. Whether they intended to or not, that got handed down. It's a physical item that got handed down. Right. So that speaks volumes. And the fact that they've written their name in it. Or yes. did they write anything besides their name? Did they write any sort of like, like, uh, like write a date a, or a message or anything? It's a birthday note in the front telling her, See, like, oh, like, I hope you enjoy this over the next. Like, I hope this. It's something about how she hopes the story uh, gives her a new lens to look at the next year of her life through. Wow. That's that's heavy. That goes beyond just signing it, you know. It's like, you know, writing a name and a date. Well, know, that also huge. that also gives you an idea of the character of the person that wrote it, right? You think it's your great grandmother. She's probably writing this, or you, you know, she's probably writing this maybe you know, seventy, eighty years ago, maybe even longer, maybe a hundred years mm-hmm. ago, and so you get an idea of what they're about just from their little, you know, because you know, obviously, when you write something in the in the in, in the cover of a book, it's something you you want it to be meaningful to the neck the person you're giving the book to, right? So it's also a little insight yeah. into what kind of character you have, right? If you're talking about freedom yeah. and talking about being wild, obviously that's a person who valued their own personal freedom, right? A woman who valued in a time when maybe that wasn't that was frowned upon, maybe, you know? Yeah, what year would that have been, Kale? She doesn't know I, when she wrote that. Maybe. I mean, I mean, from the age of the book, is there any way to sort of guess? From, I mean, there's probably a, cop, a copyright on the book, right? That When I was a kid, that was the fun, was getting like an old book from somebody and looking at the copyright, you know, or like the, the printing date, and you go, whoa, this is, there's that's when I first address. realized. She wrote her name and her mm-hmm. address. Where, did, where uh, was that from? Rialto, California. Oh, my God. South Olive. Mm-hmm. South Olive. I live on Olive Street, you guys. Oh, my God. See. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> That's heavy. In Rial- That's heavy. Sorry. In Rialto. 1945. Think- 1945. Okay. There you go. That, that's always a start. You know, I, we've got a couple books that my mom had when she was a little kid. 
like little golden books, you know, that, that's how far back those go. And just looking at the date, we could go, okay, here's a starting point. You know, it doesn't even mean that's necessarily the, the, the year she got it, but that's right. a starting point, you know. So your grandma was probably a little kid in 1945. Yeah. And, and so her grandma gave her that book. So who knows how old your grandma was at the time? I'm going to say it. Actually, my grandma wasn't born until she was born in 58. Wait a minute. Holy crap. Jesus. <laughs> wow. What an old timer. John, what year, what year is your, like, John, what year were you born? 61. Just checking. It's like, wow. It's like your grandparents. It's like, yeah, that's me. Just call the gramps. <laughs> Grandpa John. Well, I love that. What year was it? 1905? No, it was, um, 1959. It's like, oh, boy, they sure are old. Hey, how you doing? Patrick, what year were you born? 91. Oh, God. Jake, what year were you born? I know. It's like, don't don't say it. 93. I I was born in 91, and if it makes you feel better, I'm what, 31 right now? Yeah, I was already. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Patrick, you got your whole life ahead of you. Yeah. Kalei, what year were you born? If it starts 2000? with it, oh fuck Jesus! <laughs> say say again. Two thousand. You were born in the really? year two thousand. December third, two thousand. Wow, a year old when they when they wow nine eleven. You were a year a old. A Y two K baby. Yes, I don't remember nine eleven, but I do remember the first one year anniversary of nine eleven and my grandmother mm. crying in the living room. Wow. Mm. And you said to yourself, "This world." What have I gotten myself into? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for giving birth to me. Thanks, parents. Uh, I remember the I, I remember the JFK funeral. I must have been like three or, or younger. I remember everybody like huddled around the television watching watching the. Uh, what was the moon was landing like? TV. What's that? The, what? with the, yeah, I remember the moon landing, and that was you know it's funny because you watch it and it was really it was like watching a kinescope. It was really fuzzy. You could barely make out what the hell was going on. <laughs> it was what was very... the War of 1812 like, John? <laughs> well, it was on TV, that's, that's for sure. It preempted Batman, I know that much. How <laughs> <laughs> was How did you choose in the French Revolution? Was Christopher, was Christopher Columbus a nice man? I'm, I'm only 10 years younger than John, you bastards. Leave him alone. <laughs> you know, Jake, the last time I heard that, I fell off my dinosaur. Hey, how you Seriously, doing? You've, been a, you've been a great audience. <laughs> How did you prepare for Y2K? Yeah. Uh, you, uh, Jake, I remember. Yeah, remember, uh, Mario, remember the whole thing? Like, they're like, God, our plane's going to fall out of the sky. Nope, at the I, I, should, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is everybody's computer going to go down? Right. <laughs> the stroke right. of midnight. Right. And then, of course, it came and went. Everyone's all, oh, I, yeah, I guess it was all right. <laughs> I love Pentecost. Don't don't say that. Don't don't say that. I'm sorry. You know what? Let's take a quick break before we start talking about pentatonics. If we come back, we're going to talk about Out of Sight with J Lo and George Clooney. God, they're attractive people. We'll be right back after these messages. Uh, welcome back to Superiority Complex, everybody. Justine is back. Back again. Hi, Justine. Hi. Justine, I don't... I might fall asleep, so I'll give you, like, 
No, we, I'll give you guys like another twenty minutes of me. It's going to be a short segment because we 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 are on we are on a time limit. Uh, we are going to get to the movie. So, <laughs> did you get to watch Out of Sight this week? Okay, good. Uh, by the way, Justine, it was for four dollars. I just bought Burn After Reading in honor of you. Hey. So just just for that, uh, we were talking about last week's episode of The Mandalorian on the break. Uh, probably the worst episode of the show so far, uh, in a season that has been uneven to say the least. Uh, what did you think of it, uh, Jake? Doc Brown, I forget his real Christopher Lloyd, you forgot his Judge Doom, Lizzo, Lizzo, uh huh, and Jack Black, uh huh. If that gives you any indication of the quality of the sh- of them, not to say that Jack Black does it, but it's just very odd choices Weird. for cameos to put in there. Felt it felt like they did it just because they thought maybe the episode was going to be a little weak, so they threw in some high profile cameos to try and did it, you know did it feel like stunt view. casting. It did, um, yeah, and also. An eight episode, okay. an eight episode show should not have a filler episode. No, ah. it very much felt like a filler episode. It's mm. Like why? Why? An eight why episode Lizzo, season. Yeah, I just don't think I, I. This this season is suffering what I call Endgame syndrome. They told the story mm-hmm. they needed to tell. Just like that's why all the Marvel Phase Four movies felt kind of uneven. Spider Man Far From Home would have been great if it was just like a standalone. Black Panther 2 mm. could have been a standalone, but they keep trying to work this whole arc into it, and you have the TV shows, the crossover, and all that stuff. Uh, and so it feels like they're really trying to move towards something when there's really nothing to move toward. And I feel like Mandalorian did the same thing. It told its story, and it really finished in Book of Boba Fett, which is the weird, a weird place for it to end. But now it seems like it's just sort of we're, we're starting another quest, but it really isn't doesn't have the same draw as... <laughs> you know, getting this kid to where he needs to go. That was a much more well, personal. I like the first few episodes where they were focusing on the Mandalorians and their retaking of their, you know, of their people and their culture. But then we have a weird, weird side, side, like one-off thing where they're trying to find dysfunctional droid. It's just, it didn't make, it's just. And then also, the also you stick at the end of it, you kind of, do a disservice to Bo-Katan's story because there is the piece where she gets the Darksaber back, spoiler alert, and that's kind of a big moment, right? And you just stuck it on at the end of this inconsequential, or what seems like an inconsequential episode. I don't know. It was weird. There, there were hints that there was something bigger. It's like, oh, if you help us, then we'll recognize, you know, we'll recognize Mandalore as, uh, as an actual... Yeah, maybe group of people again, or for the Senate, or whatever the fuck they said. Yeah, it just felt the the plot was basically leading to like that small moment, and then the moment at the very end, and everything else was just kind of unnecessary. It was weird. Didn't feel didn't feel earned, or didn't feel like it was worth. We're getting an echo on your end. Are you okay over there? You good? Me, Jake. I'm getting an echo mm-hmm. on your end, Jake. Okay. Okay. Somebody has, I think it's somebody has their computer volume up. And I think that's what's happening. Is it me? 
pretty good chance to talk to yourself, isn't that? Isn't that what you want? Yeah, that's not what the people want to hear, though. <laughs> Justine's muted because she's eating. Good, good job, Justine. Calais is frozen. Justine, how was work, boo boo? Mm, it was good. I worked at 3 a.m. this morning. Mm. How did you like that cover of Wannabe we sent you? I didn't get to watch it. Jake loved it. Well, as soon yeah, as so he read like, what you guys were saying, I was like, why? So I didn't want to. But you would have gotten a kick out of it. They're doing it like a 40s style song. Like, oh, it's in Jake's style. And I was like, mm. oh, boy. yeah. Well, that wasn't really Jake's style. What's wrong with Jake's style, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was going to surprise me a little bit there before I saw that. <laughs> Patrick Jake says, style. I love uh, that. That's a new adjective. <laughs> Jake style. <laughs> Why are you guys saying that? Like it's a derogatory term for music. You say it like it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. How hurtful. <laughs> that was the best. It was the best. Kalea's frozen. I'm worried about that. I was listening to Duke Ellington the other day. That, yeah, you got you want to find uh, taking the A train? Yep, uh, you want to hear a great uh, Duke Ellington uh, uh, find the 70th birthday concert from London? Fantastic, great version of Satin Doll. Patrick, are you watching uh, Mandalorian? I found it. Yeah, the uh, I haven't watched today's yet. No, me neither. Last week's episode, uh. It's one thing to have one person do a cameo, but to have three big people do a cameo is just kind of overwhelming. Where, um, where should I look? Yeah. Why is- I storyline didn't bother me necessarily. I get what they were trying to do. It's more of like a side quest to try and rejoin uh Mandalore so she can have access to the people. That was fine with me. Um but uh Definitely Jack Black and Lizzo really stood out. Doc Brown did not bother me. I think he did a great job. I just don't think uh, he, I think he wasted him. He had nothing to do. It was a nothing part. Yeah. I I think he could have been a really like a, a pretty menacing villain if they had let him. He's only in what two scenes? Right. Yeah. And he's sitting at a desk the whole really time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just think, uh, I think with those two in it, um, it was a little too much. Uh, and I think that that has a lot to do with uh, uh, Disney more than anything else. Right. But, yeah. you know, I, 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 I'm okay with the story where it's going. I think what they're doing is they're bridging uh, to Bo-Katan whether or not it will be a standalone series for all of Mandalorians. Uh, I, they're basically doing what they did with Boba Fett. You know, it's it's this is a bridge season and it's a little disappointing, but you know, hey, whatever. We could be doing a better job with Bo Katan's wig while we're at it, by the way. We could be really doing Yeah. We could be doing Wait, that. you don't like the hairline being hidden by the real? real hair? I think it looks like real hair. It just doesn't look like her hair. <laughs> I just think it's you. Know. Is there there's a dead if you guys know what the cover of Mark Haddon's uh, a curious incident of the dog in the nighttime looks like. If you know what the cover of that book looks like, the dog is recreating it right now behind Justine. Please. Oh go- yeah, he looks dead. Please Google looks that. Dead, yeah. Please Google that. Is that Jake's lizard? 
Damn. Please, can we never okay? refer? Can we never refer to Jake's lizard again, please? Thank you. <laughs> so instead of calling him dead. Instead of calling him Bone Daddy, we're going to call him Jake's Lizard. <laughs> and he's so oh little. He's so little. Oh, nice. Jake's all thank you. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Classy. Mm-hmm. Is curious Jake's incident? all, no, we call it the Gila Monster. The Gila Monster. Uh, all right, let's talk about... I'm trying to save you, Jake. <laughs> Thanks, John. This week's mm-hmm. movie was a little thing we like to call uh, 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 the Ocean's Eleven prequel. What's it called? Oh, out of sight, out of sight. Uh, who's going to tell us about it today? Patrick, Patrick's back. Um, out of sight released in 1998 on June 26th, uh, directed by Steven Soderbergh, with a seven out of ten on IMDb and a 94 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Gro- had a budget of 48 million dollars. What did it gross worldwide? Kalei, what did it gross worldwide? Uh, 125. Kalei, no. 125. Justine, what did it gross worldwide? Um, 75. Jake, what did it gross worldwide? Worldwide gross out of sight. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 100. John? What did it gross worldwide? Uh, I'm going to pass because I know what it grossed. Damn, John. Who said 125? Who, 125 was the highest? I'm going to say 130, just to be a jerk. Uh, Sorry, Kalei. 77.7 million. So that was Justine was the closest without going over. A success, but not a massive success. A mild success. Made its money back and then a little bit extra, but that's about it. All right. Uh, and this is really a, a, the, one of the first serious roles for Jayla, although it is a comedy. Uh, uh, this isn't actually a comedy. It's got humorous moments, but I wouldn't I, say this is a comedy. I would say this is my favorite ro- romantic comedy. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. Kalei's making a face. It is Empire Strikes Back. It is Empire Strikes Back, but this That's is close. This is a close. Ro- this is a close second uh, to the. What? I don't know if I would qualify this as a rom com. You don't think or a comedy? I don't think oh, it's, it's a fu- comedy at all. Oh, it's funny. It is very funny. It is. It is very funny. Oh, it's got some, got some great sure. stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's. You didn't laugh. Oh my god, I laughed. No, I laughed. Uh, I laughed at one of the greatest or the greatest deaths in cinema history. Yes, by far <laughs> one of the best ways to die. Yes. And you knew that was stairs, you knew that was going to happen. Oh, you knew great. that was going to happen. It was great. It uh, was I'll, like this is also now, now who's going to eat all those steaks? This is the first. Also, this is the first instance for those of you who watch Jackie Brown. This is the first in- instance where we've had. One character crossover from one movie to another, and they're made by two different um, two different directors. Right, right. Two different directors, and it's a different. Yeah, it's not even. I don't even think it's the same. I don't even know who did. I don't know if it's the same movie company. I don't even know. It's I not. And I think uh, Tarantino had, had to kind of tell Miramax, "Come on, you got to let him do it. 
you know, that was the story. I think there might have been some hesitation, and he, he said, "We got to make this happen. This I would was be great." So confused on those last few minutes. I'm like, "What's happening right now? This isn't a Tarantino movie." I'm so confused. Uh, but they're both Elmore. But they're uh, both they're Elmore both Leonard Elmore. movies. James, yeah, they're Elmore both Leonard. Yeah, that's based right, by, yeah. Based, So we saw Michael Keaton reprise the role as Ray Nicolette, <laughs> and I forgot he was in this completely. I totally forgot that that happened. As an aside. Yeah, he's just like, oh yeah, it's the. It's, and the thing is, he's in it for five minutes. He's great. <laughs> the five minutes he's in, he just he's wonderful. He just steals the scene, you know. And Dennis Farina's just great as his dad, as the dad, oh. just grilling him. This he's is a huge. I mean, this is a huge cast for this type of movie too. Like, and there's not a a bit player in here. I don't think. Mm-mm. And everybody pulls their weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I forgot the mom great. from. I forgot what Catherine Keener looked like when she was younger. And I could not place her in the beginning when she's on the phone with him. I'm like, who is that woman? I'm like, it's the mom from Get Out. I forgot. Yeah. Um, God. And you even got Nancy Allen. I mean, right. even that small part. You're like, right. wow, Nancy Allen as the maid. You know? Robocop. Uh, and then. Yeah, uh, she's always great. You had, then you had uh, uh, the great Steve Zahn. Always turns up. Nobody talks about enough yeah. about Steve Zahn. Steve Zahn was kind of like Sam Rockwell before uh, Sam Rockwell uh, a little yeah, bit. But yeah. um, so none, none of you had seen this. John, you had seen it. I saw it when it came out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nobody. Uh, watching this, I realized I've seen parts of it. Okay. Well, Justine's a I, big I, I, Clooney fan. She loves him. Uh, I was, who's that? Justine's a huge George Clooney fan. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Uh, I was surprised at how tall his hair was. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember him Clooney having that 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 high of hair, but he did in the beginning at least. But uh, you know, it was a, it was a choice for the character. Uh, Jake, you had not seen it. Nope. Kalei, you had say. not seen it. Oh, I've seen this movie. Oh, you have. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Justine, had you seen? A... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Back to the digitized media. Uh, my grandma was a firm believer that we needed to have all the J-Lo movies on VHS tapes. There was a period of time where she lived with us and we shared a room. So her and I would stay up late watching J-Lo movies on VHS. So do, do your grandma like this movie? My grandma loved this movie. Oh, my God. Did your grandma think? She uh, loved action movies. Anything with action and anything. What a great grandma. Did she love, uh, did she think George Clooney was attractive? Did she, did she say, oh, he's a hunky. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh my, oh my word! Uh, Did she in give- fact, if you ask my grandma, the whole point of watching an action movie is for the attractive men. Wow! Ah. So, abs- I'm sure she did have a lot of thoughts and feelings about George Clooney. <laughs> That's fantastic. I Just- love what a diplomatic way to a lot of thoughts and, and emotions and deeply <laughs> held. Thoughts uh, about George Clooney. Justine, did oh, you sure. uh, had you yeah, seen this before? Clooney's a real dreamboat. <laughs> Justine can't hear me. She's muted. That means that she can hear you, but she can't talk. That's right. Justine, mm. did, had you seen this movie before? Um, no, and I haven't seen the last 50 minutes of the movie. What? 15 minutes? 50? 5 zero, or 1 5? Five? 5 zero. Okay, you oh, stay out. I was going to say, 15, <laughs> we can just give you a chance to go out and catch it. Did yeah. you watch uh, Did you watch Jackie Fine. Brown, by the way? Did you watch Jack Brown? Do you want the scores? Yeah. For your little book, no, I'll listen. I'll oh, listen. wow, God bless you. Uh, your boyfriend won't, but uh, you will. Uh, I can like hear John. I'm I, sorry, I, I, if can... I don't get to experience it with you guys. 
I don't want to experience it at oh, all. Oh, that's beautiful. That's there's a, a, it's a wonderful, there's a song in there somewhere. Yeah, that's a wonderful cover for nice your safe, laziness. <laughs> uh, well, let's start with well. Since you've seen this before, uh, Calais, let's start with you here, and uh, tell us tell us what tell us what it was like to rewatch this this bad boy. Okay. All right. I was watching it, and I haven't seen this movie in years. George Clooney is hard to watch when he's with J-Lo in this movie. I I knew that there, I get it. They're supposed to be a thing the entire time. It just made me so uncomfortable. Because he was older. Uh, yes. And I think that like when I was younger watching this film, I just like wasn't quite as aware of like that age dynamic going on. Like it wasn't as visually uh, obvious to me. Watching it this the, time, what, what is the age difference? He doesn't look all that old in this movie. <laughs> maybe that's, he was maybe born that's in 61, so he's 37 in this. And right. she was born in... Oh, uh, shit, I don't know. Uh, there's a pretty big age difference. He was born in 61, huh? Uh-huh. Hey, John. How you doing? No, actually, no, I take it back. There's, uh, she was born in 69. So eight years. Oh, okay, so it's not a huge age difference. Yeah. It's, um, it's less than your typical James so Bond. Jalo just doesn't age, so she looks. She still looks the same. Yeah. And he doesn't do much aging either. He, go, he goes a little gray, but you got to say, he's still looking pretty sharp, you know? Yeah. Um, I found the whole dynamic of hers and, like, the complication of her job and all of it. It was so fun for sure. It just was, I kept getting caught up in the believability of it, but I love JLo. Her cadence and the presence she had on screen in this movie was fantastic. Um, I obviously hated the maid scene in how uh, just understood it was in the movie that there was some sort of sexual predatory energy going on as soon as she opened the door. Like, yes, they were there for the diamonds, you know, but there's this choice to have her shot and her her robe is down. So there was kind of a bit of foreshadowing in that. And I really appreciated that it was so heavily addressed and that they put it in the plot line um, because I think that that's I don't think that there's ever a necessary call for sexual assault in a movie. However, uh, it being a movie with two high profile actors and them making the choice to make it in the storyline that that doesn't happen. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate that he was like, like, like that was the focal point for him going back was look, I have to go back for this reason. It wasn't to go back for revenge. It wasn't to go back for anything else. It was like, this is going to happen if I don't stop it. Or if I don't send, and that's what really, that's one of those. Yeah. That's a scene that really makes him even more of a hero. Right. Cause he, and he tells Ving, Ving Rames, just go. I please, we're all, we are square. Just go, <laughs> you know, yeah. this isn't going to end well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really, appreciate Oh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say they did a great job with the moral ambiguity in this film in general. They just did a great job. Well, here's the thing where I, here's where, what I was struck. And I, I, I hit the same speed bump you did, uh, Kalei. I was talking about the, you know, the whole thing about Soderbergh sometimes is he likes to put, he likes to make things so cool sometimes that not much is happening in the movie because everybody's just standing around being cool. I think you can say that about the Ocean's Eleven <laughs> Movies, sometimes it's just, we're going to get all these actors in a room and everybody's going to act cool and that's going to be the whole movie, right? Um, that is the whole movie. With and, the, yeah, yeah. Those, and yeah. so with these, I think, you know, the, 
I was the, the believability stretched me because I was really like the whole time they were in the trunk and he's kind of charming her and they're talking about movies and everything's going well. And he decides to like shoot his shot. Right. I'm like, a dude wrote this. <laughs> I'm totally like, I'm totally like a dude wrote this. This so is you're telling me <laughs> this man is kidnapping. This woman has her in a hostage situation. And then you're like, you know what? She's pretty cute. I I'm going to shoot my shot. shot. Look, look, let me, uh, but let me tell you like, uh, yeah, I mean, but, but what sells it is what I love about it is that they make JLo she's a willing participant in it. It's not like Stockholm syndrome. She is attracted. She obviously knows she's attracted to him and she's trying not to be. And she's, or at the very least, she's trying to figure out why am I attracted to this guy? And her dad drops a hint. It wasn't the first time because the dad says that eventually somebody she dated was picked up for another crime. Um, I think he drops a hint when they're, when when they're having a conversation. Um, So it's not the first time that she's attracted to this type of person. And there are, People that are attracted to that type of person. You know, you hear about prisoners getting fan mail, right? People want to, but I love that they didn't make her crazy. I and love she's that more than, she's more than capable. You know, that's the thing. Right. You know, this is, this is, this is one of those things. This is just a spark. It right. doesn't feel like it's because she's broken. It just feels like it's one of these weird things where there was a spark, even though they're sharing a trunk together. But you know? that's what I love that the whole time, her character stays true to what she is in the beginning. She wants to catch the bad guys, even if it means shooting the guy that she's romantically involved with in the leg and leaving him there to get cuffed. I think that's a great way to end that movie. I, I love oh, yeah. that. I love that. Sorry, Justine, she can hear us. I hope she can't hear us, but um, I love that they stayed true to her character the whole time. And I have never sold, I was never sold very much on JLo as an actress, but I think she knocked it out of the park in this one. I thought that she did a great job. This uh, has got to be her. Be- I think this is her best movie. You know, yeah. I think really, if you look at her filmography, this is the one that shows everything she can do dramatically. You know, she's self-possessed. She's uh, <laughs> she's glib. She's uh, she can hold her own. I love the scene when the guys are coming up to the bar and they won't take no for an answer when yeah. she's sitting at the bar. <laughs> and uh, I just love the look on her for that resigned amusement she's kind of amused but at the same time she's like and you can tell it's not the first time that this happened to her um she wears all that very well and i feel like she carries so much of this movie because her end has to be believable and it can't be somebody who's hysterical or frantic or crazy you know you just have to believe like john says that that spark was there Uh, originally they were thinking of uh, sandra bullock and as good as she is it wouldn't have been the same movie you have to believe that this is a tough, capable person. It's just, it's an injection of reality. You know, she is believable. If that character is not believable, this movie does not work. I love so. when she's shooting through the trunk. I love that whole thing. Where He's <laughs> like, now you're damn it. You're putting holes in your trunk. Um, I forget how, how, you know, we're used to Don Cheadle. Now we know him as, as a war machine now. And, uh, you know, he's been good guys and he's one of the good guys. <laughs> you forget how menacing he could be. Uh, he is really menacing in this movie. You know, he did a great job in this movie. Remember, remember Devil in a Blue Dress? He was a really bad guy. Right, right, right. Unhinged. So, yeah, he did his share of really bad guys and before he started playing heroes. You know? Right, right. Uh, got that scene where he take he gets the he gets the inmate, the um, the fish. 
<laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> right. Oh my god. Uh and I think this is the start of Ving Rames playing uh likable uh oh no, it would have been Mission Impossible. Was our, we already watched Mission Impossible, but Ving right. Rames always a very yeah. likable uh friend. Always a good friend and yeah. a good yeah. always very Oh, he's always great. And he's, al- he's you know, always great. When you think of his role as Marcellus Wallace in Pulp Fiction, and then you, you see him here uh, where he's tough but gentle. Uh, it's a really, yeah. uh, it's kind of a, yeah. a, another guy who's just doing a lot of really good, subtle acting and, you know, and, uh, yeah. it's, you know, and they make a good comedic team. He and, he and George hey, Clooney. Marcellus Wallace was gentle in the end. Okay. <laughs> he went back and he was gentle. Well, he was pretty he freak- went medieval in a very, <laughs> he, went, he went medieval in a very gentle way. Yeah. He was, Absolutely. uh, he, pipes, yeah. Yeah, he was, he was, he was pretty freaking far from okay. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Patrick, what you, had you seen this before? Uh, like I said, I'd seen bits and pieces of this. Um, so start to finish, I, what did you think? Uh, I divided this movie into thirds. Um, the first third and the last third I really enjoyed, and the middle third was just kind of whatever. Um, I don't know if I necessarily needed the relationship stuff from them. I think it it was fine. It didn't bother me. It was something about like, it just, uh, the middle portion felt a little dragged out. Um, And I, I think I really enjoyed the setup of the crime and, you know, him escaping prison. And then the last like 30 minutes of this movie is phenomenal. It's just the way things hit the fan the fact that like everybody just starts to die off is it's it's it was a little bit of a surprise for them to be like, oh, yeah, I remember this part. And uh, like I said, it has one of the greatest movie deaths in cinema history. Are you talking, um, about, are you talking about White Boy Bob? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, absolutely. White Boy Bob died the best way fucking possible. Is that the best way? Is that really? Oh, my God. Are is you kidding really? me? That is like the greatest sense of justice in any movie I've ever seen where a complete asshole just gets hit by karma like a fucking bus, dude. It is a good one. It it's was a miracle great. he didn't kill him. It's a miracle he didn't kill himself taking the stakes out of that. Slip on a stake. I mean, that, I mean, that could have happened. You know? the it's that felt like a Tarantino touch. Like he oh, does yeah. that sort of thing where he's just like, yeah, we're gonna kill this guy off, but he's gonna die ridiculous way. And it's always um, a quick the car hitting a speed bump. Yeah, yeah. This, this feels <laughs> exactly. This feels very Quentin Tarantino in that the violence. Is very quick. It's not a lot of drawn yeah. out shootouts. Um, I also like the fact that Clooney does seem overwhelmed. Uh, he does not. Yeah. He's not comfortable. He's not a. He's not a guy that. He's not a gunslinger. You know. He's not no, a guy that no. runs around he shooting. He doesn't, he doesn't. He doesn't use guns. Right. He's I not, think he's not a guy that runs around biggest, doing that. My biggest issue with the middle part of the movie is. I don't think we needed the sex scene between the two of them. I, I think that part of the film was just completely unnecessary. Me. I oh, like. Oh, the, oh, come on. Wait. I like. sex I like the banter between the two of them. Like when he shows up, I was fine with that. But the whole hotel thing, like we could have just cut that portion out and cut to the next morning. Nineteen-year-old me is going to wow. disagree with you. Oh, you mean showing it? <laughs> I'm sure nineteen-year-old you is going to disagree. Nineteen-year-old I mean, me is going to disagree with you. But uh, I've gotten to the age where you never see, need to see a sex scene unless something absolutely necessary is happening during okay, the sex okay. scene. Okay, all right. You, you want to make that argument? 
Okay, so you make a choice. You either have this sex scene still remain in the movie, or you go watch Desperado and enjoy what happens in that movie. Well, listen, I said, listen, I said, that you know, for there's the never year, a scene the this where was made. <laughs> I, I think this was for the year this was made. I think this that was a pretty restrained. It was. Oh no, it was a pretty restrained. It, yeah, love scene. I, don't get me wrong; it was very restrained, and it wasn't yeah. done in a way that was distasteful. I just think it was unnecessary. Right. I mm. think we, at this point in the film. We already understand that they have that really strong connection, that they are drawn to each other. And you got that when they're having that conversation. I enjoyed the playful banter. I enjoyed the conversation the morning after between the two of them where she's justifying how she feels in the moment. And he's explaining to her, you know, hey, I get where you're coming from. You don't have to worry. I'll tell you what would what would 19 year old Patrick say (laughs) as she's taking off her clothes? What would he say? Would he say? Keep going, or that's too much, or I don't need this, or yeah. I I would have. Okay, just, I just I'm talking about the movie as a whole. I felt that was a drag on the plot and unnecessary. Mm. You could always cut to look. Mm. You could always cut to them drink doing the drinks. They they stand up, they kiss. Cut to J Lo waking up. Morning there's, after. There, there's the gun on the perfect. pillow. Perfect. There's the gun on the pillow. Absolutely. We perfect. all know what happened. Would have been perfect. Uh, yeah, or but you know what? Hitchcock, he, or if they're Hitchcock, they would have shown a train going through a tunnel. Right. And then it's the next morning. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, okay. You got a point. You know what, Patrick? You got a point. But I, I, she's I, so beautiful. I'm like, all right. Yeah. This is cool. It's, I just, I, I think that that it, it, it slowed down the middle part of the movie, whereas it has a really strong beginning and a really strong. I space. will tell you what, though. That scene, when I think of this movie, that scene when they're, when she's at the bar. And the snow is falling behind the, the whole city. Oh, yeah. I think of that. Yeah, that yeah, is right. such a beautifully shot scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think of yeah. that all the yeah. time. And that whole scene where they're talking and it's like the close-up of them and they're at the table and you see the snow in the background. It almost feels like she's going to wake up, right? It almost feels like she's going to wake up yeah. and go. She's dreaming that yeah. part, too. Just like. Uh, yeah. I love yeah. the scene in the bathtub and the dad says, you were talking. And she goes, what did I say? And he goes, oh, hey, yourself. Yeah, I thought that that's always a good scene. Uh, yeah. Hey, yourself. I, I agree, Patrick. You know, there's there's not. Uh, and maybe it's just it, it, the more I think about it, I don't even think it's the whole middle of the film. I think it's maybe just that part. OK. That really just kind of takes me out of it. OK, that's fair. I know somebody that was telling me they can never watch George Clooney because George Clooney is always George Clooney. And that takes him out of every Clooney movie. But uh, we've True. talked about that before where, you know, Harrison Ford is always Harrison Ford. Clooney's always, there's certain actors that are that way. Jack I mean, Nicholson. And Clooney and Dusk After Dawn, you know? That's true. That's true. That's very true. The most un-Clooney right there. That's true. A real slimy guy. But, you know, it, they used to say the same, you know, early in his career, they used to compare him to Cary Grant. And that's the sort of thing that they always said about Cary Grant. Oh, he's always playing himself. But every once in a while, he would do a movie where he's playing a bad guy or a killer or something, you know. So you never know. But that's the rap he got. Was it always always doing himself? But there's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to sort of, right. you know, put on that charm, you know. Uh, Jake, what did you think, man? Um, I thought it was great. Um, I definitely was very uncomfortable in the scene <laughs> where they were both back in behind the car, or when they were both in the trunk of the car. Um. Yeah, it's just like he said. He's like, no, I never do that. But then there's like, but why? Why would you say that? Why are you saying that right now? That's making I'm getting uncomfortable. It's, it's not. Right. It's not working. But um, yeah. I mean, they're both very strong actors. Um, I love uh, Jennifer Lopez in this movie. 
Um, just such a badass woman who's she's like, yep, I know I'm doing the wrong thing, but uh, but I'm doing it for the right reasons. Doing it for the right reasons, and even at the end where she sets him up with uh, uh, I forget the character's name, Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, Samuel (laughs) Samuel Jackson Jackson shows up. No, the character or whoever they I forgot his name. Yeah, yeah, she can still still see that she's like, yeah, I have a job to do, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but. That doesn't mean I'm gonna let you. I mean, you you do what you gotta do, and so she sets up that. So I thought that was that was a cute. Do you think? It, here's what I was questioning at the end of the movie. Do you think she set him up knowing that they were gonna, that they were gonna 100%. escape again? Hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. She's a U.S. marshal. She knows what that guy is capable of. She even <laughs> says, "We're waiting until the next morning." A hundred percent. And you see that big ass smile on her face. A hundred percent. She's like, "He's gonna help you break out of prison." Yeah. Because and he's she, gotten out like nine. He's gotten out like nine times, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I think even, at this even, point, like she, the biggest attraction for her is the chase. Right. Like that's what she's enjoying most. So she's she's enjoying the game of cat and mouse. Mm. And Is that why she's I an think, federal agent. She likes the chase. Yeah. I think that that's really what is motivating her to uh, continue. The great it's also the most it's the, it's the most she can do without jeopardizing her job. The most he can, that she can do for him is to you know, put him up with a guy that's going to get him out, no doubt. You know, <laughs> I love that the if dad. Did anything wrong? She was just saving money. I love that the dad there is aware go. that she has this mm-hmm. this side to her personality, and he's just kind of yeah. sort of okay with it, but sort of not okay with it. You know, it's sort of like he's it's letting her. her he's living. He's letting her live her life, but also at the same time, he's still being a dad about it. I, mm-hmm. I love their relationship. I do like that relationship, yeah. that dynamic. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. Um, it's great. This got would have been... For, got her a pistol for her birthday. It's so sweet. You know, you know this is a character... Her character, Karen Sisko, is, a, is a, a character I would have loved to see in more movies. Like, if it would have become, like, a thing where... You know, Mario, do you remember they they did a spinoff? They tried to do a TV show called Karen Cisco, right? With uh, Carla Carla Gagino playing, right? Playing the part, and right? It lasted about a year, and I thought, okay, yeah, I felt the same way. This would be, I'd like to see more of this character, right? But um, I don't know who was behind the TV show, but that's who was playing. I think it was just called Karen Cisco, right? I remember that, but I would have liked to see yeah. J Lo continue the character, keep going in the movie. Uh, yeah, you know. yeah. Yeah. Uh, they could have done it. Yeah. John, did it hold up for you? Yes, it did. I, I when it came out, I loved it, and uh, I think it's one of her best movies, if not the best. And I think it's really one of George Clooney's best movies. I love Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and I love um, uh, Three Kings. You know, he's done a lot of good movies. He's done a lot of a lot of clunkers too, but he's done some pretty good movies. And uh, this one really stands out. And when you look at his filmography. This is one of the few. This is one of the first big ones. He'd he'd done a couple flops before this. I guess he'd done Dusk to Dawn. He'd done a couple other things. This is really the one Dusk I think is you, not a flop. It was at the time. Yeah, it was uh, not. It was not as. I'm <laughs> saying. Um, I'm saying movies. Uh, okay, I should have qualified that Critically, after Dusk to Dawn. I get, I get what you're after saying. After Dusk to Dawn, he he did one called like The Peacemaker, and, and that was kind of a flop. And he did another one that was uh, with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. That was kind of a romantic comedy. That was kind of a flop. Um, what you didn't know was could he do a, a good, could he play a good guy in a movie and make it believable, you know? And um, and also, could he uh, transcend the, the label of like TV actor? You know, everybody saw him in uh, ER. And or was that ER? Was that the movie? Yeah, that was, was it. That the yeah. TV show he was in? That was in. He was ER. Yeah. 
anyway, it's funny. You got, I, I think people sort of shrug him off, but I think uh, this is one of those movies where you go, oh yeah, he's really, he does, got, he has something. And it's something you don't see in a lot of modern movies. He is kind of a throwback to the old days, you know, like a, like a Cary Grant or one of those guys. Um, I think he pulls it off. Right. And, and she's wonderful in this. It's really, it's almost, it's, it's supposed to be like uh, the two of them, but really it's, it's really her movie. I think the way this all plays out, it's more her movie and it's got, it's got such a great ending. It's not that sort of ending you would, uh, it's not the Hollywood ending where she just turns her back and says, go ahead, go, you know, she does her job. It's like, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm also not going to let you run off. You know? Right. So, and of course it was great to see, um, I love Albert Brooks. And this was one of the first times, uh, he did a movie where he's, it wasn't like a straight out comedy, you know, um, he's such a bad guy in drive. And this was kind of like almost dipping his toe in the water. Can I play kind of an unsavory guy? And it's not really a comedic part, you know, even though there's some funny reactions. So uh, I did not recognize him great. without his hair when he was doing that, that bald hair piece. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. So it looks so weird. It, it doesn't look like him. It was the voice that no. I re- It was his voice that gave it away. I think the first time I saw the movie, it took me it took me about five minutes to figure out it was Albert Brooks, you know? Right, right. Uh, because, yeah, you're right, without the hair, and then you're expecting him just in comedies, even like something like Broadcast News. Basically, he's the comic relief. So, um, anyway, I think everybody in this was great. Dennis Farina is always great when you think about all the things he's been right. in. Right. You know, like Midnight Run and, and all that. He's, he's always great, whether he's playing a good guy or a bad guy. So, uh uh, and for Steven Soderbergh, you'd have to say this is also sort of like the turning. He said he needed a movie that wasn't, um, he says, I needed to break out of the art house ghetto. He said, everything I did after Sex, Lies, and Videotape, he said, you know, there's a lot of scripts that aren't coming my way because they all think I'm kind of artsy-fartsy. So he said, I need to do a good, solid action film. And this proves that he could do it. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just to me, it's practically flawless. It's not overindulgent, you know. right. Uh, there's, let's talk about real quick before, speaking of Clooney being charming, uh, how charming is he during that, uh, robbery scene? I feel like, I really feel like that's where he kind of comes into his own as, you that know, was exactly. a great scene. Yeah. 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 Look, my partner's and over you there. You realize, yeah, this is a guy he doesn't, you know, he said, I don't really use a gun. I, I just sort of, you can see how he did 200 bank jobs. You know, he said he's lost count and you can see how he did it. It was so easy just to sort of like stroll in and stroll out, you know? Um, and even, even he knows, you know, when he, when she says, you know, when, when she said, you know, he's saying, I know you're not stupid <laughs> and she's all, and I know you're not stupid. He's all, well, <laughs> I think he knows he's sharp, but the fact that he gets caught, he knows he's not, uh, you know, there's other things he could be doing. Uh, yeah, no, but, uh, th- that's the one Tarantino moment where they go back when he realized he's been rejected by Albert Brooks's job and that's, or he gives him the job as a security guard and he turns it down and that's where the whole thing starts. Uh, I love, you know, you're right. You're right. That flashback. You're like, what, what happened before he throws down the tie and walks across the street? Right. What just happened? So yeah, that was a nice moment. This, this, this thing is full of nice moments, you know, uh, great chemistry. Everybody's got great chemistry. I love the way Bing Rains cannot quite figure out why he's all, I don't get it. We can get away clean. Why are you dragging her along? <laughs> it's like we can just leave her here. We don't have to bring her and put her in the second car. He just can't quite get his, his head together, you know? Right. He can't figure it out. 
Uh, you know, he's as yeah. baffled as we are. Is this real? Is this true? Is this going to ruin the movie for me? But it doesn't. <laughs> it's an, you know, it's, it's an almost, it, it's one of those things. I guess, I guess the book was based on a true, a true event. Uh, I'm trying to think what it was. There is a little reality to the book. Never read the book. I kind of want to read it now because you wonder how much did they depart for the movie. But they said it was based. It was based on a uh, roughly on a true story. And you you do hear about these things happening. But it plays out the fact that they make it play out very realistically. This this was not an easy scenario to sell uh, by any means, you know. Uh, it was written in 1996. Uh, the book, uh, so that was, um, God, and this is not, this is right around the same time as Jackie Brown with, uh, right. Rum Punch, Rum right? Punch, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that was originally called Rum Punch. I wonder if this was, uh, had another title. Was it out of, no, it was called Out, out of, of Sight, sight or was there... it's called Out of Sight, but I can't, uh, let's see. Yeah. My connection is slow. You know, he's great. P- people love making movies out of his books. You know, you <laughs> oh, almost excuse can't me, go sorry. wrong. Uh, my video is starting to give me issues in my internet. So let's, let's get these scores before we get cut off here. Uh, Kalei, what did you give, uh, out of sight, my friend? Eight. An eight. An ocho. Out of sight gets an ocho. All right. Uh, let me see. We'll write that down. Uh, Jake. Oh, we lost Justine, huh? I think she was finishing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jake, what do you uh, say? I also, give, also an I eight? also give it an eight. All right. Yeah. Uh, John, Sandy? I give it an eight. Oh. Wow. Patrick, honey? Wow. Patrick, uh, seven. You son of a... We almost had everybody. <laughs> Mario? <laughs> no pressure. I give it an eight. There you go. God damn it, Patrick! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, hey, Justine, you haven't been a, you haven't been a part of one of those yet. We we do, it does happen from time to time. We get a few where everybody gets the same score, but uh, yeah. But what are the odds I'm going to agree with all you guys again? <laughs> that's well, you know, you've been actually, you know, these last few movies have been very close. You've been you've you've actually mm-hmm. you've actually I you've surprised me because I thought there's no way she's going to like some of these movies, and you've 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 liked them. Like Breakdown was a. Was a surprise. I was surprised you guys both liked that movie as much as you liked it. I really liked Breakdown yeah. for what it was. Uh, John, what did you give uh, Jackie Brown? I give Jackie Brown a nine. Okay. All right. And that's one of my favorite. That's one of my all-time favorite Quentin Tarantino movies. That would be like probably in the top three. It's a good one. It's yeah, a good it really one. is. Everybody's great. Everybody in that's great. Everybody's good. All right, next week we're going to watch, uh, I, I I have a quandary. Uh, so Steve-O Dockerson, also known as Hob the Troll, wanted to join us for Lebowski, which is why we pushed really? it back. So I'm going to see if I That's- can get Steve-O for next week, and we'll get him on Lebowski. We still have a hold on Starship Troopers. That is coming, uh, but we have a hold. So next week could possibly be Lebowski. If not, if not Lebowski, I'll let you guys know. We're going to go for a rom-com of sorts. Mm-hmm. Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Harrison Ford and Haish in, in a little movie called Six Days, Seven Nights. Mm-hmm. Or is it the other way around? I see. 
Harrison Ford with an earring. Harrison Ford with an earring. If you want to know when things in this country started to go south, it was the second (laughs) that piercing gun touched Harrison Ford's earlobe. That's when things in this country started to go downhill. Yeah, because he shouldn't have used a piercing gun. He should have gone and gotten it done with just a needle. Everyone knows you don't you don't ever take a piercing from the gun. Why is that? Why is that? Uh, it messes with the healing. It can make it go in diagonal. All those things, and it tends to be more painful for people as well. So you go yeah, ice yeah. cube needle. Yeah, ice cube needle. I or if I did it ice in my dorm room, it was ice cube needle and apple slices. Thank you, Parent Trap. Why apple slices? <laughs> so that, that was, when you when you you have that something was in the parent trap. <laughs> oh, you keep the apple slice. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. That was in the, the parent trap. Haley well, Mills used a gun on her ear. <laughs> the one with Lindsay. Hold one. Wait. Let me. Sorry, I, I I'm sorry. I had to do that. <laughs> uh. So, oh, so it, so you have something for it to go into. You hold you hold it up to the. Oh, okay. All right. Ah. Uh, Okay. Did it hurt? Hold that for next time. Oh, I didn't. I mean, I pierced my cartilage and I didn't do a very good job. That did hurt and I took it out. Um, everyone else that I pierced in my dorm room and I was doing noses and stuff, they were like, that was great. And I was like, okay. What were you just there? Was your little side hustle in college? You were just piercing people? Uh, one day my roommate said that they wanted to go get piercings on Friday the 13th. The shop was closed or the shop wasn't closed. It's just their line was so long they had cut off taking people. Um, so I was like, I mean, I'm I'm down to give it a go if you guys are down to give it a go. Oh my god! And they're like, yeah, why not? <laughs> but it actually started. I actually first pierced someone's ears at church camp when I was like 13. Okay, rebel. Yeah. <laughs> Mario said, "Okay." okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Tried to tell them they were going to feel closer to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. No. I actually told them form like, of staring of the echo of as they... God into their ear. <laughs> Oh There's just a God. stream of blood running down their ears. I think, yeah, look, you're closer to Jesus. Hey, check now. it out. Stigmata. <laughs> yep. like the blood of Christ. Oh, mm-hmm. man. You guys it's, are, going, it's in your ear. You guys are going to no, heck. No, his pain. You guys are going to heck. Um, not me, though. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, keep it warm for you, buddy. So next week. So, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah there's, I, there's, a, there's a nice spot saved up for most for everybody. I'm going to keep you guys posted on whether it's Lebowski or the or uh, Six Days, Seven Nights. All right. I'll, I'll let you guys know on that. In the, in the, in the well, one of those movies I don't have to watch. Which one? Uh, guess. How many times have That's you seen easy. it? Oh, way too many. Way too fucking many. I'm guessing you haven't seen Six Days, Seven Nights. No, he, that's his favorite. Uh, I've seen he it. He loves a rom com. I've seen it like twice, but uh, no, I've oh, seen so Big Lebowski probably a couple hundred times. There you go. By the way, guys, Six Days, Seven Nights, <laughs> it, don't sound, it sounds underwhelming, but remember, David Schwimmer is in it. Okay, so just remember that. Does he have his monkey? No, pass. <laughs> 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 I'm dying. I'm dying. I went out like I always wanted to on my podcast. So it's okay. A life fulfilled. All right. Uh, so for Jake, for John, for Patrick, for Justine, who was here for a minute, for Kalei, and for myself, we say this transmission is now. Fight the power! Fight the power!